0: We're going to start today with two truths and a lie, and you're going to have to figure it out because we're doing a series uh, on truth in the midst of lies. I'm going to have Debbie Futrell, who is our worship choir director, I'm going to have her say three phrases, and then I'm going to have you vote which one is not true, okay? Go ahead, Debbie. Okay. Number one, I am seriously afraid of heights. Number two. I was a member of a synchronized swimming team. Number three, the scar on my chin is from jumping a pond bank while riding a four-wheeler and coming face-to-face with a tree. Awesome. When I was 44 years old. Oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I don't even know where to begin. All right, how many of you think the lie is she's seriously afraid of heights? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few. Which, is it a lie that I was a member of a synchronized swimming team? A few more, okay. The scar on her chin, uh, this has got to be true. <laughs> is from jumping a pond bank while riding a four-wheeler, coming face to face with a tree when she was too old to know better. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Says when I was 44. So is that, how many think it's the last one? All right, which one is the lie? Number one is the lie. I love high places. The higher, the better. Seriously? Seriously. That's weird. (laughs) I don't... That's awesome. Thanks. Frazier's going to come. He's going to... Because I'm afraid of high places, man. Don't put me up there. That's why God made me short. All right, Frazier, two truths and a lie. All right. My first, middle, and last names were all Scotch-Irish gangs in New York City during the 1800s. Oh, that was... That was complicated. When I asked my wife to marry me, she couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> and I once stole two pairs of my sister's pantyhose to use as the finishing touches to my Hamlet costume. Okay. Okay. Where do we begin? All right. All right. How many of you think his names are scotch irish gangs in New York? Raise your hand. Do you think that's a lie? Raise your hand. That's quite a few, quite a few. When he asked his wife to marry him, she laughed. Okay. Couldn't stop laughing. Okay, three. Stole two pairs of pantyhose, finishes Hamlet costume. How many think that's the lie? Oh, they believe Come on, guys. Only one. Mark. Mark. What? You don't know me very well. Man. All right, which one is it, Frazier? All right, well, um, I did steal the pantyhose. It was a really low-budget production. <laughs> um, <clears throat> my wife couldn't stop laughing when I asked her to marry me. So okay. only one of my names was a Scotch-Irish gang in New York City during the 1800s. Oh, so good. that is the lie. That was clever. Thanks. Very good. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you one more to, or give you three statements now. Two of them are true. One's a lie. Then we're going to try to answer it as we go through the second second chapter of Galatians. So you'll get your Bibles and get ready to turn there. We're going to be studying there together. But let me tell you two truths and a lie. Ready? Many who say the Lord is good will not get into heaven. That's number one. Number two, a person is is justified by working to fulfill God's law and by faith in Jesus. Number three, Paul died to the outward requirements of God's law in order that he could live for God. Let's see if we can find the answers to which one of those is not true. All right, you have your Bibles and we're going to go to Galatians. We'll look there in just a moment. I don't know if you have ever been like this I've had a couple of times I'd be in a service and the preacher would be preaching on a particular verse that would always uh, shake me down to my foundation a bit and I would have to ask the question what if he doesn't know me because it doesn't say that I don't know him here's the verse that I'm looking at that the preachers would preach on Matthew 7 uh, verse 21 through 23 listen Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones who do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And then away from me evildoers that that would shake my core because I've been in church you know a PK been in church my whole life and so I would that would shake me And we're going to try to find some answers to this then I had another question what if that I've served him to the best of my ability and I received him by faith but somewhere or somehow I missed him does that you ever have those kind of questions am I the only one Paul had a similar question, and he asked it this way. in It's a second part of B, of 2B, of, excuse me, of chapter 2. I met privately with the original 12 disciples. This is him talking about his ministry. Leaders of the church. He said, I presented to them the gospel <clears throat> that I preach among the Gentiles, and I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not run my race in vain. See that little... Question in there? He said, I want to make sure that I was, didn't do all this, and then I found out that I was doing this in vain. So here's the question we're going to try to answer today in Galatians. What must I do to make sure I don't live in vain or miss God in the end? What do I have to do to make sure that I'm not living this life in vain or miss God in the end? Alright, first thing, I want you to write it down in your notes is this. I will miss God in the end if I think some people are worthy and other peoples are not worthy to be redeemed. And let me tell you where that comes from. Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 14. We're going to be reading parts of that together in just a moment. Uh, In Galatians 2.16, just skip to that verse and let's look at it. And it says this, We know that no one... Is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul introduces for the first time in this letter the word justified, just simply comes back to mean. Uh, Free from guilt. That because of a faith in this new message of Jesus, that we could be free from guilt before God. Justified means we have been made right before God. Not by what we have done, but what, by what Jesus did for us on the cross. This condition could not be produced by works done in obedience to the law. Paul says this. And we're going to find it a little bit more. Now let's look at verse 6. Starting verse 6, chapter 2. As for those who were held in high esteem, and he's referring to the original 12 disciples. Those that were held in high esteem in the early church. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. Sounds a little cocky to me. But I think he meant that Jesus had taught him that the gospel was for everyone who would believe Then God does not show favoritism and the disciples did not see the need to add anything to his message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, basically those not ever in covenant with God, just as Peter had been called to the circumcised. For God who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, Jews, Israelites, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he goes on to say, James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, those esteemed pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace that was given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they would go to the circumcised. So we got this message that's coming exclusively from Paul. Like I said last week, the 12 disciples were sent by mess by mission of Jesus to go to the lost 10 tribes of Israel that had been divorced for, by God because of their ongoing unfaithfulness to their covenant so the disciples the 12 were going out just to the lost tribes of Israel and trying to get them the message of the gospel paul is the one that's after his uh, conversion on the Damascus Road, was taken, it says, he says, I was taken for three years where he was personally taught and discipled by the Lord to bring this message not just to the, the tribes of Israel, but also now the message goes outside of that to Gentiles. And that's, like I said, really good news for us. Uh, so I want to show you something happens right here where Paul and Peter get into a little bit of a clash. A conflict occurred in their ministries as they met together. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned or he was guilty. He He did something wrong. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew yet you live like the Gentiles and not like a Jew. Now remember who Paul was. Very religious. Remember, he, he was a, a Pharisee. He was of the Jewish faith. But Peter wasn't. Peter was a rough, blue-collar work, work guy. He didn't follow. And, and Paul even says to him, Peter, you're not even following the traditions of the fathers. And why are you bringing this Requirement back on these Gentiles who are following Jesus. Uh, how is it then that you force Gentiles, Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, here's the cause, verse 12. For before certain men came from James, that's the brother of Jesus. He was seen as the head of the church, the early church. Uh, James was seen as the, the top of the pyramid of, of power there. He says, before they came, you used to eat with the Gentiles. He's talking to Peter. But when these church guys came, you began you to draw back and to separate yourself from the Gentiles because you're afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. The consequence was, is found in verse 13. Because you did that, the other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray it appears that they're intimidated by these same guys they just came from that gave them the right hand of fellowship, say, you go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Israelites. But evidently in that process, they didn't quite trust that that happened. And so when these uh, early church leaders came into Antioch, some of these guys began to back up, get away from the Gentiles because they were afraid they might get in trouble from those folks. Now, while I was studying this, i got to be honest with you. <clears throat> Remember I said, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And he's talking about the ten tribes of Israel. And then I said, the twelve disciples went exclusively toward the lost tribes to bring them into relationship through Jesus. The question struck me again. The terif- I have some terrifying questions, and this was one of them. What if Paul, is an outlier what if he missed it if he's the only one saying that this salvation is just for is for gentiles he's the only one i had a moment of a heart skip in thinking of that reality and so i literally said okay lord i what, what's your word on this what do you say about this immediately i went back to the very last message that Jesus left the disciples. I don't, and he just took me over there. It is Matthew, you know it well, Matthew uh, 18. And you're going to see what happens here if I can find it. Oh, there it is. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. These are the disciples. But I had never noticed this before this week. But look at this. Some of them doubted. Look at that verse, Matthew twenty-eight seventeen. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. Interesting. Those are the guys that walked with him. Saw all the miracles that he did. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of, this is what's important, all nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now that helped me. But I said, Lord, what is this all nation thing? Because this is, this is answering my question. I looked up the word and all is panta, simply means everything. Nations is, original Greek is ethna. We get the word ethnic from it. And what this simply means that he says you are to go to every ethnic group. All races, all nations, all tribes. And those even, these are ones considered separate from Israel. I said, thank you Jesus. Because if I can hear it from Jesus, I'm okay, yes? I may doubt Paul, maybe, but I'm not going to doubt it when the Lord says, no, you take this to all ethnics, all peoples of the planet, the message of the gospel. That's good news for me. I hope it is for you today. So, here is the bottom line of this first point. To know that you are known by God, you will know that this message of salvation is for all people. God loves us all. If you didn't know that from John 3.16, he does. So to answer my first lie, true lie statements, it is this. Many who say the Lord is good will not get into heaven. Do you think that was a true or false statement? It's actually true statement based on Galatians 2.16. It says there will be many that will stand and say, Lord, look what we've done in your name. All these excellent things. He said, I never knew you. So, we've got to be careful here. So, what do I need to do to make sure that I am that I don't live in vain or miss God's at the end? Here's the second thing in your notes. I will miss God in the end if I think my goodness secures my salvation. I will miss God in the end if I think my goodness is what gives me my salvation. Galatians two fifteen through 18, as we're studying through this together. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. For the person out here that may have grown up in church and in religion all your life. But the best description of your spiritual health is burden, Um, tired, you're just spiritually tired. Because we've been given a message that it is a combination of that, yeah, we trust Jesus, but we keep it or we maintain it by perfection to the law. This is saying, what it does is law produces um, guilt. Because we're going to find out the further we go through Galatians, is that the law is an impossibility to be lived up to. It is the moral code. It is the moral standard that our nation is built upon, and we're not saying that today, but it is. In our nation, we're not saying it anymore, but it is the foundation of our nation. But we know uh, there's another passage of Scripture that says it's like a measuring stick that we stand up against. Here's the law, and here's my, my performance to the law. It, what it shows us is that we can't ever live up to it. One man did. The God-man, Jesus. He was without transgression. He never missed the law. And thank God for his son who is able to take that position for us. Because none of us, no man has ever lived up to the standard of the law. So if our goodness, if your, even your religion is based upon something other than your trust and your faith in Jesus, there is a burden you carry of constant failure. A constant worry. It's the ones of us that have the the list that says these are my good things, and I work really hard to keep my good thing list going, and I hope it's bigger than my bad thing list that I know is there too. It's that person that is hoping that they're good enough at the end to be accepted by Jesus. Very dangerous place to be, very ungodly place to live your religion. Because it puts you under a burden and shame and condemnation your entire life. And Jesus said he came to set us free. And he says when he set us free we are free indeed. Now some are saying and they said this to Paul. Does that mean you can, we can do anything we want? Well Paul in, in Romans talks about it. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. He says, we've died to sin. How can we live in that any longer? In other words, the law that was once external, when we ask Jesus into our life to forgive us, to take the blood of his perfect sacrifice to cleanse us, to cover us, when we receive the Holy Spirit within us, he says, I'm going to take the law and I'm going to put it on your heart. It's no longer external. It is now internal. So, yes, it ruins your sin life when you receive Jesus. It really does. I mean, you can do it. I mean, he gives us the freedom to do that. But when you do immediately, right here, right? Immediately. The conviction of the Holy Spirit's right here in our heart. Somebody didn't have to tell us. We knew it. Because it's written on our heart. And then our heart's desire is to please him. Not to walk in rebellion against him. The bottom line, to know that you are known by God, you will know that all the message of salvation is for all people. The second thing is I will miss God's kingdom if I think my goodness secures my salvation. Here's the bottom line to that one. To know that God knows me, I must fully be fully aware that my best behavior does not make me right with God. My On the days that you're on your highest religious holy place, remember what? They said about, in Scripture, about that position. It says it's as though it's filthy rags in the sight of God. On that day, you know, we have good days. And we feel like, wow, got this together. But our performance level before God is as filthy rags. So what about our bad days? Because we have those two, same thing. So my answer to, the sta- to my first statement of the two truths and the, and the lie game, the second one is this. A person is justified by the works of the law and by faith in Jesus. How many think that's a lie? It is a lie. That is a lie. We're not justified by God, by the works of the law, and by Jesus. We're justified by, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And then the law is written on our heart to give us direction how to follow him with our life. Okay. Freaked out yet? What do I need to do to make sure I don't miss God in the end? Third thing. I will miss God in the end if I think. Now catch this very, this is pretty important. I think in American religion culture today. Catch this. I will miss God in the end if I think following Jesus is just about life improvement. If it's about making my life better. Is that a true or not? Here's what it says in Galatians 2, 19 through 21. For through the law, that's Paul saying I I was under the law. He was a, a leader of the Pharisees. For through the law, I died to the law. So that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law Christ died for nothing. Does following the Lord bring blessing into your life? Absolutely. But that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about when we give our life over to the Lord, we give our life to Him. We become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He's not not brought down here to make us have the biggest houses and the fanciest cars. And He does that. I mean, He blesses. But that's not the purpose behind it. We're called to give our life to Him. Some to preach, some to serve, some to teach, some to missionary, some to, some to uh, usher, some to fellowship creation. All kinds of parts, but we're called to be His disciples. He wasn't called to make our life easy. And I think sometimes in our re- current day religion, it's kind of a lot about self life improvement the gospel is a lot about self improvement no it's about dying to this self and following the Lord probably not popular but it's true so let me give you the third statement you tell me if it's true or false Paul died to the law so that he could live for God how many think that's false okay it's a true statement that's a true statement this year, and I'm closing here. Vicki, why don't you come on up? This year, God said to us that we are to be unleashed. We are to be a people that are unleashed to get outside the walls of our classrooms, the walls of our worship center. We're called to get outside and be unleashed, to take the message of the gospel to the people that surround our life, to the people that live next door to you, to neighborhoods that are about us that we are not to be a church that comes to do our church thing and then go home but a disciple of of the lord is one who on a day-to-day basis worships we may not you may not have a great worship team leading you every sunday or every on monday morning but we are to be a people that live a life that worships him by representing him well you know he said to be a peculiar people He didn't say be weird. Some of us got the weird thing down. That's not what he says. He says be peculiar. Do you know what that means? It's simple. That you love people, even the unlovely ones, even the ones who have a political position against you. Love them. Who did Jesus hang out with? The disciples? no he would teach them as they followed him but he hung out with sinners remember he had he had dinner that time in a room there was a prostitute there there was a tax collector there there were some other folks there the, the, the religious people who, why are you doing this who are you You're, you shouldn't be around those people no what makes us peculiar is that you love us you love everybody love them but I don't, like what they're, I don't like their life choice. God didn't ask you to like it. He told you to love them. Yes? That's what makes you peculiar is when you can love and not judge. Because it's not our job. I want to say it again. It's not my job. It's not your job to change anybody. Because we don't have the power to do it. The only one that has the power to do it is that man God who never sinned, who died in our place and paid the sins debt death and gave his blood to cover us for our sin to cleanse us from all transgression and then we know that we became the temple of the Holy Spirit the place that God comes to dwell within love love radically love enough to where we as church people around you are nervous about who you're bringing That's what we're to be peculiar about. Well, what do we do then with their messed up lifestyles? Well, first of all, what are you going to do with yours? And the second thing is, we're just going to let, let, let the Lord take care of them. We need to love them so they can experience the love of Jesus through the body of Christ. We need to bring them in and not compromise the word. We have to speak the truth in love. And then the Spirit of God will do the correction, the changing the healing, and the fixing. I'm thankful we don't have to do that. He is powerful. He's not backed up. He's not weak. He's not even, even moved away. He's present and powerful, ready and able to seek and save all that are separated from Him. We're unleashed into the, into the harvest. Here's the main idea, and I'll close with it. Only the person who rejects or neglects Jesus will have lived in vain only the person who has rejected or neglected Jesus is the one who has lived in vain if you serve him if you pursue him if your life is after him he knows you he knows you because he called you from your pit from your sin from your broken place he called you to say hey come here sit on my lap son daughter he called you. He knows you by name. A whole different sermon is, but I think maybe He's changed our names and we don't know it. You remember Saul was made Paul, right? I keep wondering because in the class I teach, I know He's changed our names. If we can hear what He calls us. Remember, he, he uh, Fraser talked about Gideon. Gideon considered himself the weakest. He said, I'm of the smallest tribe and I'm the of the weakest family and I'm the weakest of my family he's at the bottom end of everything down in a pit trying to get enough food to survive because the enemy's all around he's scared to death and the first thing that God said to him he said mighty warrior I wonder what he says over you you ever thought about that wonder what he says to you it yells in our head all the time about how we can't We're not good enough. We've sinned. We've failed. And if anybody knew how messed up we were, so that's yelling at us all the time. But in the midst of that, the Father, Jesus, would speak over and call you by name. Mighty warrior. Stand in the strength you have. Some may be here today and you have dealt for a long time. You asked Jesus into your heart. You can remember it. But you live with a constant sense of failure, shame, and condemnation. And you work so hard to be so good, but you're tired. I would just say come today and hear what the Father says to you. What if he said, well done. Well done, daughter. Well done, son. Then we'd say, "But, but," Lord says, "I know all that. Well done." There may be some that have had a form of religion, which is the law, and you've been living under a law, and you've been working really hard to get God to love you and to accept you, and that you would be pleasing to Him. And you've been, you've done all you can, all you know to do, and again, you're tired. I'm telling you, that'll wear you out. I would just say run today, run to Jesus because his arms are open and he's going to say to you, hey, I'm so glad you came. I love you. But you say, Lord, but remember, he said, yeah, I've already covered all that stuff. I've forgiven it. Come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, what'd he say? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you learn from me, Jesus said. It'll change your life. Religion's really not very good for you. Relationship with Jesus is awesome for you. And if you may have been some of those who have been caught up in American, a form of American Christianity, that you just seek for it to be, help you get your new car or your new house or your big bank account, you may need to come and meet Jesus. Because he didn't come to make your life Better. He came to that you would give your life to serve and follow Him. It's a hard line to say because when you do follow Him, He does bless you. When you walk in under God's blessing, it's you're blessed. But that's not the motive of it. Our life is to serve Him. I don't know what God is saying today, but I do know that there are some that struggle with, Lord, I don't want to miss you at the end after all of this life effort. Let me make it simple. Just don't reject or neglect Jesus. If you have, on this day, come and give your life to him. There will be some people here who will pray with you. Let's stand. If God's working in your life, would you please come quickly? Could I have a few down here, please?